0: through 24 Romans chapter 11 verses 19 through 24 and hear God's word you will say then branches were broken off that I might I might be grafted in well said because of unbelief they were broken off and you stand by faith do not be haughty but fear For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree... How much more will these who are natural branches be grafted in to their own olive tree? And let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for, uh, yes, the warnings of scripture. They they sober us, they humble us, but that's what they're meant to do. Let let your, your warnings and your threatenings have the proper effect. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time, uh, as we looked at verses 16 through 22, we considered uh, the general position of the Jews and the Gentiles with respect to the olive tree, verses 16 and 17. The olive tree, which uh, we saw, is the people of God and uh, the root and the fatness of the root is Abraham, from which springs uh, the covenant of grace and the people of God. The first branch uh, natural to it was the people of the Jews, uh, but that branch was cut off and the Gentiles were grafted in in the new covenant. And the apostle is addressing Gentiles in light of that situation, their place in the tree, their relative place to the Jews, the natural branches which were broken off. And what he does is not to, to praise and to puff up the Gentiles who were grafted in, but is, uh, he warns uh, them uh, and threatens them. He issues warnings to the Gentiles. That is you and me in light of this. We have a place, but be careful. The underlying warning uh, throughout those verses is that of apostasy. I, I once uh, heard a, a classmate of mine in seminary say the most terrible word in all of scripture is the word if. Look at verse 22. consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Now, that that's that's a terrible word from our perspective, because, well, our journey isn't finished and we don't quite know how things are going to end. Here's the warning. As Israel became apostate, so might you. He's not. This isn't just Paul speaking to the Romans. This is me speaking to you. It happened to them. It can happen to you. Don't think it can't. It can. That's the thought that Paul is bringing before the Gentile mind. Immediately realizing then that we are dealing with uh, the subject of apostasy. And if you don't know what that means, I, I will define it. Apostasy. The difficulty that we have is how are we to understand the warnings, the if that terrifies us and makes us tremble. Well, again, the Apostle Paul is saying, as the natural branches that is Israel were broken out of the olive tree, so might you if you're not careful. Verse 21. And so he tells us even to be afraid of God himself. Don't be haughty, but fear. Fear God and what he might do. Oh, yes, he's good to you now, but he might become severe. Verses 20 and verse 22. It is a very sobering. Not only sobering, though, but it's a troubling statement, if we're if we're honest. It's the kind of thing that leaves the Christian in difficulties. It's the kind of thing that leads some of you to, to speak to me after the sermon last week. Now, pastor, you didn't mean this, did you? Well, let us see that it does. It does trouble us, these passages. It isn't just this. It's 1 Corinthians 10. It's Hebrews chapter 3. I hope to read that later on in the sermon. And then Romans chapter 11. We are left wondering how are we to take the warnings, or as our confession speaks, the threatenings of scripture, the threatenings which our confession says make the believer tremble. And I agree with that. We read a passage like this and we we tremble. The trouble, uh, again, concerns the very nature of apostasy. And the real question that we have is who is capable of this? Who is the not just who is the apostate? But since the Apostle Paul is speaking of an eventuality or a possibility, not just a theoretical possibility, but an actual possibility, what happened to Israel can happen to you. It might happen to you if you're not careful. The question we ask is who is capable of apostasy? Can a true believer fall from grace? Can a true believer be grafted in? Can he be born again and brought into the church only to be cut out in the end? Or let me try to put it like this, which I think clarifies the issue to use the language of chapters 8, 9, 10 and 11. Can one who is elect become apostate? That's the question. And you see, just as soon as I put it like that, we have our answer. No. No. The one who is elect cannot. The elect were destined to be saved by God himself, and nothing can ever change that. If you think of all that he had to say in Romans chapter eight, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the son. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. There is an absolute certainty from eternity to eternity. That concerns the elect and nothing can ever shake them free from the tree. Oh, yes, Jesus says to Peter that Satan would sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you and you're secure in my hand and no one can ever take you out of my grasp. Just as soon as the believer is in the hands of Jesus, no one can ever break him free. And so clearly that cannot be the teaching. That is, that the elect, those who are elect, might become apostate. Everything that Paul has said in chapter 8 especially, but also chapters 9 and 11 mitigate against this idea. He, is, he spoke in chapters uh, 9 and 11 in this way. Chapter 11, verse 5 captures the idea. Well, even so, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace and the idea is that that remnant according to the election of grace can never be lost. Why because they are elect in what way according to grace. And so Paul is not now in chapter later on in chapter 11 uh, contradicting himself. Not in the least. What then is the idea that he is placing before us. Well let me begin with the definition of apostasy. Apostasy. Apostasy is the rotten fruit of unbelief that uh, that would describe Israel very well by her unbelief. She became apostate. It's the rotten fruit of unbelief. It's what happens to someone who thought he had a place among God's people and who did uh, at least outwardly, only to find in the end that he did not. And that's what happened to Israel. They were in. And what they discovered over time is that they were out. If we are to really understand what the apostle is saying here, and this is really the key thought. I I began to indicate this last time, but let me begin to unpack it now. The apostle in describing apostasy in Romans chapter 11 is more concerned about churches than he is about individuals. I'm not saying that there's no application to individuals there is, but I am saying that the primary reference in Romans chapter 11 is to churches and the thought here, if you follow along with him, it's not that the elect might be lost. It's that those who thought they had a place in the people of God might discover that they never did, even as Israel did. What happened to Israel can happen to you. As Israel, as a people, the visible church in her day fell away, so the church now, largely composed of Gentiles, might suffer the same fate. Individual churches or even entire denominations might go the way of Israel by their unbelief. And so the apostle Paul is not warning the elect so much as he is the church in general. Now, that doesn't mean the elect do not benefit from these warnings. They do. They tremble at the threatenings in a sense only they can. I mean, only they can take them to heart, truly, because only they believe and take God's word for what it really is, and that is the word of God. But it does not mean even as they tremble at the threatenings, it does not mean that they cannot uh, It does not mean that they can fall away, or it does mean that they cannot fall away. And part of the assurance they enjoy is that they are conscious of this. That's what assurance means. I haven't made it to the end, but I know that I will. That's assurance. And so the reference has been, to use the language of the apostle in chapter 11, the elect and the rest Chapter 11, verse 7. The elect are saved, surely. What about the rest who have this outward association with the elect? They're in the church. Or uh, chapter 9, verses 6 and following. There are the spiritual sons of Abraham who cannot be lost and the natural sons who can. Chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. I'll read that later. And the point is this that Paul is making to Gentile Christians who are in the church. Don't think. Just because you're in the church, the outward manifestation of God's people that you can't be lost. That is to make the mistake that Israel made. Well, with that in mind, let us consider the teaching of verses 19 through 24 under three headings. And the first is uh, the apostasy of Israel, which is explained in terms first of her natural place in the tree Now, you could say that she had a right to be there. These were the natural sons of Abraham. And his family, which became a nation, was in those days uh, the church. And yet we could also say that Israel, as a people, made too much of this. So many had forgotten or never realized what the apostle Paul said In Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. Now I will read it. He says, they're not all Israel who are of Israel, nor uh, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, your seed shall be called, that is, those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as seed. And then he gives those two examples from the Old Testament scriptures. And the point is, what Paul is saying there, not... All are Israel that are of Israel, but only the spiritual sons, not the natural sons only, but the spiritual sons only. Even though this was plain from their very own scriptures to the Jews, they still miss this point. Not The point is, not all the natural sons of Abraham were saved, only some of them were. In fact, many were lost. Many, that is, became apostate. This becomes clear very early in the history of Abraham's family. And so there was this obvious warning in their own history, and yet they did not heed it. They honestly thought that natural sonship was enough to save them and to keep them safe, to keep their place in the tree, even though, again, there was this long history of apostasy, which began at the very beginning. And so we think of. How John the Baptist addressed this apostate nation, and it makes perfect sense in light of the metaphor that the Apostle Paul is using in Luke chapter three, verses eight and nine. He says, uh, verse seven, brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And he's speaking to the nation of Israel. Therefore, he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That was the message this apostate nation needed to hear. Do not say we have Abraham as our father. That is not enough. And how is it that you miss that? And so the next thing that the apostle says concerning the apostasy of Israel, even though she was the natural branch, which sprung naturally from Abraham, who is the root, this rotten apostate branch has been broken off. And why has she been broken off? Well, because of her unbelief, plain and simple. They thought of salvation and their place in the olive tree Simply and purely in natural terms. And that was her folly. Or else in terms of her works. But not in terms of the faith of her father. Father Abraham. What the apostle says is faith is the great thing. They fell because of their unbelief. You stand by your faith. And no one ever stood in any other way. Just as Abraham was justified by faith. So will you. And if you think of salvation in any other terms. You might have a place outwardly in the church. But you are not one of her true sons. So he begins by speaking of the apostasy of Israel. That's the first thing. The second thing he speaks of is the perspective or the possible apostasy of the Gentile church. And here is the warning. He doesn't speak of it as a fact, but as a possibility Paul is saying once again, what God did to the Jews as a nation and breaking them off and casting them away, he can do to you again. You think of what is said, I've given examples, first Corinthians 10, Hebrews chapter three, or, or in Revelation, when Jesus says, I, I might remove the lampstand from this place. It is a terrible warning, and it is found, as I'm saying, in many of the, the, the passages of scripture, and it is addressed to churches as Israel became apostate, so uh, Gentile Christians or the Gentile church might as well. In other words, what he's saying is this. Any church that becomes proud and begins to boast stands in this terrible danger of becoming apostate. And that is the greatest danger that we face. It's the danger That faces every individual church, every denomination in every age. It's once again, in terms of what the apostle is saying here, thinking what happened to Israel cannot happen to us. That's the man who became proud and and began to boast. He says, well, that's the old covenant, but we're in the new covenant now. And so that that could never happen to a group of Christians. Indeed, we begin to stand above them and to say, you know, they deserved it. But we are different. God would never do such a thing with a people like ourselves. Paul is saying, if that's what you think, you need to be careful. And indeed, you've missed the lesson, the great lesson of the Old Testament. Don't you see that that is precisely what Israel thought? We are in and thus we are safe. No matter what else is true of us, no matter how much we provoke the Lord by our sin and unbelief, we are safe. And those who stand outside are not. Oh, the apostle says that's why she ended up as she did. It was because of her spiritual pride. And so don't become like her. If you want to avoid falling as she did, then don't become haughty, but fear. Stand in fear. Tremble lest you should fall as she did tremble at the possibility of your own fall. So don't think it can't happen to us as a congregation that Calvary Orthodox Presbyterian Church can never become apostate. No, it can. It can become apostate and indeed in many cases it has happened. Through the uh, the long history of the church, the history of apostasy in other words did not end with Israel. It has continued through the ages. The question that we have is how does it happen to churches, to individual churches and denominations? How do they become apostate? Well, again, I'll analyze this idea a little bit. But the simple answer is in the same way it happened to Israel. The church as a body begins to think of salvation solely in terms of its outward organization, its external manifestation. Christianity itself becomes institutionalized as it was In Israel, a man is saved or is safe. His place is secure in the tree solely by his place in the institution or the body. He's in the church. He's a member. Therefore, he is saved. He is safe. But that is to treat the church and the people of God as as an institution, as something that is outward merely to regard the external organization as the church. As Martin Lloyd-Jones says, that was the folly of Israel, rather than as something that is spiritual and that is inward. It is the age-old distinction, in other words, between the visible and the invisible church. Apostasy is something that happens in the realm of the visible church. It is something that can never happen in the realm of the invisible church. Well, just think of it. What gives a man a place in the olive tree? That's a question that we have to answer for ourselves, for for ourselves, I mean, but also for others, For, for our children, for instance. Does a man have a place in the olive tree simply because he was born into the church or is it something else? Again, remember what the apostle says in Romans chapter nine, verses six through eight. The true sons of Abraham are not his natural sons, but his spiritual sons. But you see, it's possible And this has happened over and over and over again through the long history of the church. I'm going to give another example in a moment, but this is what happened in the Roman Catholic Church. It is possible for the church to think of salvation purely in terms of membership in a particular body. It's our relationship to the organization, to the institution. That's what saves us. That's what keeps us safe. That's what grafts us in. A man is a Christian because he belongs... To the church, whatever else is true of him. And so the church can begin to think of salvation just in terms of this outward association. But do you see in doing so? The church herself as a body has already lost her way. She's become apostate. If you study the long history of the church, this is what you will see. The very thing that Paul warns about in Romans chapter 11 has come true over and over and over again. The church becomes complacent and lazy in her thinking about herself. And so what happens? She loses her way. She becomes content. Merely with the outward form, she assumes that is all that matters. And so she loses all spiritual life and power. She forget what, what it is that makes her what she is. Not a mere association with past generations of those who were Christians. You see, that's the era the church falls into over and over again. That isn't what make any, makes anyone a Christian. What makes someone a Christian is a present possession of God himself. It's my own possession by faith of Christ as Lord and Savior. It isn't that I stand in this long line of Christians and I'm holding on to that. That's what the Jews were doing and that's what countless Christians have done. That's the way to lose your way. But the way to be saved and to have a place that our fathers had is to say, I want to know what they know, knew and I want to have what they had. I want to stand by their same faith, a true and a living faith in the present. That's what saves. Well, that's what saved them. And that's the only thing that will ever save me and my children. And what the apostle is saying, making faith the central issue, faith is what saved my fathers. Faith is what saved me is the only thing that can. And faith is the only thing that can save my children. He's saying that there is no way to continue in the church. You notice he uses that word. There's no way to continue as a true church, as a body, with a living place in the tree, unless it is by faith. It is not my outward association. It is my living faith that gives me an interest in the root who is Abraham and makes me his true spiritual son. That's what the apostle means in verse 22 when he says, Consider the goodness and severity of God on those who felt severity, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. He's speaking to churches. He's saying that as soon as something else begins to uh, replace faith. As it did in Israel, as it did in the Roman Catholic Church, as soon as we take The cardinal doctrine of justification by faith alone. And we throw it to the side and we make something else the cardinal thing. That's the thing that makes us Christians. That's the thing that gives us a place in the church. My father was a Christian. My father was an Orthodox Presbyterian or whatever it is that we say. You see, I'm speaking to the children. As soon as you begin to say that, you've begun to lose your way. You're not continuing in the line of your fathers anymore. No, if we're going to continue as a church in the line of our fathers, then we have to continue by faith. That's the only way. And just as soon as the church gives that up, as soon as any church loses that, she is lost. She is apostate. That's the danger. That's the warning. And don't be surprised if what happened to Israel happens to you. You thought you were in, only to find that you were out. What happened? Well, what happened was that unbelief began to set in. And the one thing that gave us a living, vital association with the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith in him was lost. And as unbelief begins to set in, so there is the rotten fruit of apostasy. God Begins to withdraw his presence. Has this not happened many times in the long history of the church? Now I gave the example of of Israel and of the Roman Catholic Church. Look at the mainline churches in this country. Now one of the amazing things is if you attend a mainline church. In the outward form. I'm I'm talking about a mainline Presbyterian church. Aside from the sermon. uh, The other elements of the service are consistent with Geneva. That's one of the, the remarkable things about The reformed uh, or the uh, PCUSA. Uh, They are are staunch adherents to reformed worship. Astonishingly. They maintain the outward form. And to this day, they assume they are in. But nothing could be clearer to us than that they are out. The life of God's spirit has left them completely. And the message to that believing remnant who went out. And that includes myself. The believing remnant who left that outward rotten manifestation of the people of God, they went out, they formed new churches. The message is what happened to them can happen to you if you're not careful. Just as unbelief set in leading to apostasy, so the same exact process can take over in the life of the new churches that are being formed. And don't think that it can't. If you go down the same terrible path, you will end up exactly as she did. And that, unfortunately, and tragically, is the story of the church over the ages. New associations are formed. The believing remnant goes out, they form new associations, and you give them enough time, and they go down the same path. And then the believing believing remnant goes out and forms a new body. And over and over and over again, it happens. And the warning stands through the generations. It's something that we need to hear. It's something that we need to be aware of. It's a danger that we need. Well, let me put it like this. We need to be at least a little bit afraid of happening. It could happen to this church before we know it in our own day. Or in the lives of our children. It doesn't take much you know. Another way we could put this. Is that. It's when churches begin to lose this fear. This worry. Over unbelief and apostasy. That this happens to her. When the church assumes that she is safe. And that nothing could ever happen to her. That's what happened to the mainline churches. That's what happened to Israel. And so I would put the teaching in this form. The best way not to drift away. Is to be conscious of the danger of doing so. To keep up a little bit of the fear of God in your heart. To tremble at the threatenings. To be afraid. Yes. Listen to how John Murray puts it. Christian piety is constantly aware of the perils to faith. Of the dangers of coming short. Or in another place, he says, there is no such thing as continuing in the favor of God in spite of apostasy. In other words, what he's saying, and this was the folly of Israel, and it it has become the folly of countless churches through the ages. The folly is this to imagine that the church can do whatever she likes and continue in God's favor. No, to those who imagine his goodness extends even to those who forsake him. The apostle says they will learn an awful lesson of his severity. It may take many years, even generations, but they are sure to learn it. A warning to churches who have lost their way. Consider, verse 22, the the, the, the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. But there is a third heading we've seen Israel's apostasy, we've seen the Gentile church's perspective, and as uh, history with the hindsight of history, we could also say her eventual apostasy in many cases. But look at what he says under the third heading in verses twenty three and twenty four. Surely it is interesting to see after warning Gentiles about their own perspective apostasy that he returns to the Jews But that ought not to surprise us because Paul's outlook is ultimately hopeful, even when when dealing with this very sobering and terrible subject of apostasy. And he says two things here that will open or pave the way for what he says concerning the mystery of Israel and her restoration in the future in verses twenty five through twenty seven, which we will look at next time. He says two things which open the door to that in verses twenty three and twenty four. The first is uh, he speaks of the possibility of restoration. It's interesting to notice he talks about the possibility of apostasy to Gentile churches in verse 22. But having spoken in that way, looking into the future, it, it reminds him, you know, there's another possibility. And that is that that the Jews might be restored. And they also, he says, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. And why not? Why shouldn't they be grafted in again at some point in the future? God is able to do it, is he not? Just as he is able to deal with apostate churches today. Verse 21. So he is able to take those unbelieving Jews and bring them back into the church. He can do it. You see, the question concerns God's power. And viewed from the standpoint of his power, nothing is impossible. Surely God is able to do this. Of course, we realize the Jews as a people cannot do it. They have been blinded judicially to this very day. A veil covers their hearts so that when they read the scriptures, they do not see their true meaning. Second Corinthians chapter three. But God, Paul is saying, is able to open their eyes God can take this people and graft them back in even as he cut them off and even as he might cut you off if you begin down the terrible path of unbelief. When speaking of grafting them back in, he's not envisioning a different form of salvation or a different entrance into the church Uh, as the Gentiles experience in the days of the apostle. No, he's saying it will come in just the same way. He highlights faith. He's saying presently they're unbelieving, presently they're blinding. But isn't it possible that God one day could open their eyes so that they will come to believe? And having come to believe that they will be brought back into the church, do you see that such a thing is possible? And that if it were to happen, that they would have a place along with us in the tree. And do you see, number two, that not only that it is possible, but that it is likely to happen. Verse 24. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree. How much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Again, Paul is speaking uh, of a pot- potentiality or something that is possible in verses 22 and then verse 23, but here Paul is saying something more in verse 24 and just to preview what he's what he will say in verse 25 he, in verse 25. he will go a step further and say it's certain, but if you follow the line of thought verse 23 possible verse 24 likely verse 25 certain we find ourselves in the second step that it is likely verse 24. That if God grafted in the wild olive tree, contrary to nature, into the tree, how much more likely do you think it is that the day will come when he will take these natural branches and graft them in again? This is one of Paul's favorite ways of arguing it is. From the greater to the lesser God has already done the more difficult thing the more unlikely thing who would have ever thought that even from the standpoint of the Old Testament that looked forward to the salvation of the of the Gentiles who would have ever thought that the Gentile would make up the bulk of this tree and yet such is the plan of God. He's already done the more unlikely thing. Those who had no relation to Abraham whatsoever became his spiritual sons, even as his natural sons were cut off and cast off. And yet, if he's already done the more difficult thing, do we suppose that he won't do the lesser or the easier thing? Do we not, in other words, see how likely it is that God will do the same for them that he did for us? Not only can he do it, verse 23 But it is very likely that he will. In other words, why shouldn't he? Verse 24 once again. If you were cut out of the olive tree, uh, which is wild by nature and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? More on that in the sermon to come. Let me come To my closing points of application. What the Apostle Paul is doing is again, he's talking to churches. He is helping us to situate ourselves in the long history of the church. And that is a history, by the way, that relates us to everything that has gone before. But what we also need to remember is that there are days to come in the life of the church. There are days to come in the life of this congregation and and, and Christianity in America and in the world. And the first thing that I would say to this church and to the American church and and to myself is be hopeful. That's what Paul is telling us in this prophetic word. It certainly will become prophetic in verse 25. And it was in verses 12 and 15. All that Paul has been saying about the future ever since verse 11 tells me. As someone who is apt uh, to, to despair with respect to the American church, it tells me to be hopeful about the church and her future. The danger, in other words, is to think that we are the pinnacle of the church ex- church's existence, that she can never go beyond ourselves and assume a higher form. This is a kind of pride that each generation can feel, thinking that we are the end all. That the church will never progress or assume something beyond ourselves. Again, was this not the error of the Jews? She could not see what God was planning to do beyond herself or to imagine the opposite. To think think that things have gotten so bad that they can never get better. Now that's my word to the Christian today and that, that includes myself who's Who's given to despair concerning the American church. Things have gone so bad they can never get better. Let me ask you this. Did you think that Acts was the end of the story? That nothing better could ever happen after Acts was wrapped up? Or maybe the Reformation. That was the pinnacle. Or, or perhaps the first uh, the first great awakening. But now in the days that we are living in. The church must suffer endless decline and apostasy. Is that your view of things? I can tell you it wasn't Paul's. Although I can also say that it sometimes feels that way, doesn't it? We are in a period of decline. We are in a period of apostasy. It will never get better. Beloved, let us see this. That God is not finished with the church, his bride. Be hopeful. The Lord Jesus Christ still has glorious plans for her. There is a fullness that awaits her. That's the language of verse 12. That's also the language of verse 25 and you will let go of your despair and your pride when you see that and you will begin whatever we see in our day to think happy thoughts of the church and her future whatever she may suffer for the present and however small her current form may be yes we may be the remnant but there is a fullness that awaits her be hopeful but then alongside of that I say be careful. Be hopeful, yes, but be careful. Be aware of the dangers. You see, we ought to be hopeful for the church in general and never give in to a spirit of despair. The true invisible church will progress and she will prosper. God has great and glorious things in store for her. No, Acts was not the end. The Reformation wasn't the end. There are great things still to come in this age. But that does not mean That particular churches, visible churches or denominations cannot fall. And so we have to hold these two things in balance. And that really is the difficulty, isn't it? When we read a chapter like Romans chapter 11, at once we are made hopeful. Uh, On the other hand, we are made to tremble. In a way, that's not only the mystery of Israel, but that's the mystery of the Christian life. Holding these things Together, looking forward uh, on the one hand to the great things that God has in store for his true people, but at the same time, ever being aware of the dangers of slipping into apostasy. If you read these chapter uh, or these verses and I'll read them again, I think you will see both strains. And let me close by reading once more verses 22 through 24. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Amen. And let us come to the table.